1: And welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts in the world. And honestly, it is all because of my incredible guests. I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game, and they come on the show willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. These are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with us the essence of peak performance, and they do each Friday and each Monday. So my guest today, Nancy Boisvert, joins us to talk about transitioning your existing business services and branding to include the hard-won knowledge that we all learn along the way as we grow. And as we grow, we want to change a bit, and we're definitely talking about that today. So Nancy is a professional marketing and business consultant, and she has over three decades of experience But in July 2022, this year, Nancy shifted her focus somewhat to helping the aging and their friends and their families who are or will be become their caregivers. And more often than not, the road to having a great plan in place for aging is filled with potholes, (laughs) detours, obstacles, and just sheer madness, it seems, some of the time. So the development of the Strategic Comprehensive Aging Plan Eases the anger and the frustration, and today we're going to talk about the anatomy of your changing business and the processes that make it all happen so Nancy, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here.
0: Good morning, Denise. Thank you so much for having me here. I well we had an exciting time
1: i I did too, and we had and I've said this often. I always do a pre interview with my guests. It doesn't matter if I've known you for a long time on social or even if you've been a guest prior. Things change. things update. It's just a good idea to find out who my guests are and make sure that we can you know speak together for sixty minutes about really important things. My point for saying all of that is that we had the best pre interview over the weekend, and I really wish we'd recorded it. Yeah. We could have just called that our show and been done with it.
0: Well, that's the truth, except we went over the 60 minutes. So.
1: Well, it was the weekend. We had time. <laughs> so
0: Absolutely. If, if, what we're talking
1: about today, first I want you to give people an, an idea of who you are and you know where you show up in the world, why you do what you do. But I also want to talk about, and I hate this word. You know, I do pivoting. It's a COVID word, and I just it makes my skin crawl. But in some ways, many of us are doing exactly that. We may not be pivoting, but we're saying, "You know, I've been doing this kind of work for a long time. I'm really good at it, but I have other skills, and I want to bring that into the mix." And if I'm not mistaken, that's what we're talking about today, Nancy.
0: Yeah, I think so too, and and. You know, I think that part of the thing about pivoting, because yes, that's the catchphrase now, has been since COVID. So I prefer to use the word transitioning. So um, because, as you point out, we all have a, a whole bunch of skill sets in our little toolbox that we we don't always recognize that we have. So um, you know, back to back to how I got where I am. Well, you know, I. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of an entrepreneur by accident I guess. I, uh, uh, I had the nice safe job with bank for about seven and a half years and got caught in an economic downturn and lost my comfy little position and uh, jobs were scarce. So I was young and full of self-confidence and this was back in the early 80s, 1980s, so it was before, it was certainly before uh, the internet, so you had no choice. I got the old yellow pages out and just started making phone calls and telling people that I was the person to help them, and it seemed to work out, so I've been doing that since about 1984. Um, and I've done a, a, a number of different things. I've worked primarily in uh, the marketing space and in Uh, As a result of doing that, I ended up doing a lot of business consultation because I don't believe that marketing exists in a bubble, and I don't believe that you do good work for your clients if you just simply deliver what it is that they want without having a deep understanding of their business and what their goals are. Um, So I did that for a lot of years, and... Then, of course, COVID came along in March of 2020. Here in Canada, we were uh, shut down. I know that the states had different issues in different states. Uh, Here in Canada, we kind of all just had no choice. We were all suddenly isolated. And as a result, my existing clientele just evaporated. Um, and, And trying to get new business was very difficult because people didn't know if they were going to be able to survive. They didn't know if they would be reopening. They didn't know if they would be bankrupt uh, when, when all of the sanctions were lifted. So over the course of the last half a dozen years, I've been functioning as the power of attorney and the legal representative, mar- uh, medical representative, for a long time friend of mine. Uh, she left her m- marriage... Several years ago, she has no kids, and she struggles with Alzheimer's, so she had no immediate family available to step in and and be her representative. So I've been doing this now for six years. The issues with COVID were felt very, very deeply by seniors in, in any level of care because of the social isolation, and when you have people with memory issues already, and then they're going into a situation of social isolation, of course, we'll never be able to measure the true impact of the effects of that on any rapidly declining cognitive issues. So during the COVID times, we obviously had a whole lot more concerns with our aging people. the care facility that my friend is in was good enough to have weekly update meetings with us so that we had a level of comfort that they were being properly managed, properly cared for. Um, and, and during the course of this, I decided to make a shift. Actually, it's kind of funny. I, I, I was giving lots of information to a lot of people about what it means to be a power of attorney, what kind of issues do come up what kind of difficulties um, you, you go along in, in your day and you're having a wonderful day and suddenly you get these phone calls and it just detours you for, you know, 48 hours while you have to deal with this, this immediate emergency. So I was helping a lot of people. And then in, in uh middle of June of this past year, I had people say to me, you know, you should be doing this. You should be consulting with people on this as, as, as your business. And I gave my head a shake and said, you know, you're right. So uh dipped my toe in the water, and, and that's what I've been focusing on, Denise, um, since July.
1: And see, this, we're, we're, I think many of us as leaders or as long-time entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, it seems to me about every 10 years we just say, I, I think I'm wanting to do something different. Maybe I want to expand on what I'm currently doing. Maybe I want to just go do something entirely different. And every 10 years that happens with me, and I'm at that 10-year mark going, now what? <laughs> I know what's going to happen, but yeah, you know, I still like to whine about, now what? What, I'm, what do I do next? You, it's, you have to have those little hissy fits every once in a while. But my question for you is, I mean, you're still, are you still running your existing business? Have you been able to work it back up? Or are you going to shift directly into to what it is that you're talking about today? Or do both? I mean, what is your plan? How will this work for you?
0: Well, one thing that I have learned in my life is never say never. Never is a very long time. I, I did get involved in federal politics back from about 1990 to about 1996, and I swore that I would never go to Ottawa, and there I was in the the Parliament sorting sorting some things out and and helping the the, uh, Member of Parliament, who I was campaign manager for, helping her get oriented. So I I never say never. Uh, At this point, I would not turn down... Clients who came to me for some business consultation or marketing, strategic marketing advice, but my focus really is in this. In this, I'm going to call it a new space because it's it's kind of new to me as as far as making it into a business anyway. So, the the issues of caregiving are only going to increase. Um, you know, obviously there's people aside from the aging who need people to manage their their affairs maybe people have a debilitating disease or whatever but we've got the aging of the baby boomers happening now and then the Millennials are going to come up the Millennials are the only cohort that actually have a slightly larger population bulge than, than the baby boomers so we've got a real we're going to have a real crisis with what is going on in our aging community over the course of the next several decades, and we I'm don't glad have
1: enough I'm you brought societies. up. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Interrupt, no, go ahead. But I'm glad you brought up millennials. And I saw something the other day that had me. I make up words as I go, entertains myself. But I was snorkeling, meaning I was trying <laughs> not to spit, you know, spit anything out my nose on the cat who was also snorkeling with me. But I I was reading this, I came across this one term and lost it, I had to do a deep dive, but there are certain millennials that are now being called geriatric millennials. I'm sorry, I thought that was funny.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't think that we're kind of at that stage with millennials yet, given that the the baby boomers, the last part of the baby boomers are just in their late 50s, so I I think I think that that's a little bit of a stretch to call them geriatrics yet.
1: <laughs> well, apparently they're warning them. I don't know. I just, I took all kinds of snark out of it. I I enjoyed my time <laughs> there. <laughs> so it's like well, okay, I'm, I'm you sure, know. I, I'm
0: sure that you can. You well, you know, back to this this whole issue of the aging crisis. Uh, you know, I I'm I'm in Canada, uh, and there are definitely differences in our. Medical systems, but the basic fundamentals don't respect the borders. <laughs> they're they're wherever people are are aging. They're going to need care, and we have the issue, probably globally, that we just simply don't have enough support uh, workers to help with that aging cohort. And what that means is that the burden actually falls on. I'll, I'll call it burden um, family and friends of people as they age and th- that really is I've got some statistics that I, I obtained from the University of Alberta here they they put together um, some information based on our last big census data and here in Canada we've got over Well, we had in 2018, the last time of the biggest census, we had over 8 million friends and family who were acting as unpaid caregivers in Canada. Now, given that the U.S. population is about 10 times Canada's, you know, I think that it's not too big of a stretch to extrapolate that and say that that means that there's about 80 million people in the U.S. who are taking time to care for their loved ones. Now, it's not that we don't want to take care of our loved ones but we all have lives we all have you know we we have jobs we have other family members we have spouses and kids and obligations and this caregiving as much as we want to do it bites into that time that we have which creates a lot of stress which creates a lot of resent can create a lot of resentment and you know, it's just something that we have to look at. So having experienced all of this for the last six years, part of why I'm doing what I'm doing is I think that I can give some advice to people on some of the things that they can expect so that that will help to reduce that anxiety, reduce some of the as as you said in the introduction, the potholes and obstacles that can come up, if you can be prepared and not blindsided, then I think that you can deal with things a little bit better.
1: There's no question, and I'm going to ask you in just a little bit to walk us through some of those steps that you have discovered that people, you know, some of you may think, well, this is common sense, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't know where to look and as you and I discussed during that that pre-interview some years ago because I completely understand why you're you're doing what you're doing but some years ago a friend of mine facebook friend and I was coaching and consulting with her a little bit and she was going through just a terrible time with her husband who needed i believe it was a heart transplant and he didn't get it eventually i mean he did pass but she would talk with me as her coach and tell me what she was learning and You know, the the potholes, the boulders, I mean, the things that you run into that, honestly, some of you shouldn't run into. It should not be that darn difficult. But, look, my brother was a double lung transplant, so I get a little bit pithy about things like this, and he just passed away about a year and a half ago. But, you know, making it so our government, our agencies, I don't know, yours, ours, they get in the way every chance they can. I truly think that most government agencies exist to just get in our way. I mean, you can't talk me out of that. forever. I, you know, I, I, I don't.
0: I don't disagree. I think one thing I learned from being involved in politics is I, I really do think that the vast majority of policies and concepts are rooted in a real desire to be helpful. The problem is that when you get government involved there's so much bureaucracy and it ends up that that the trickle down of of any kind of of money to go to the cause is eaten up by salaries and and, mm-hmm. and everything at, at, at the other levels so i don't i i think you know what's that saying that the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions
1: well, no, I used to assume that, but I don't anymore. <laughs> but what I was, <laughs> what I, I'm such an uh, everything, I question everything. I'm very curious, I question everything, even if I was the one that said it, especially if I was the one that said it. But anyway, to go back to what we were talking about with my friend, I mean, she did very much like what you're describing. She became an expert on just about everything to do with her care, her husband's care, and you know, how, and I kept saying, you can help other people who are going through this. It's a kind of a niche down arena, you know, heart transplant, transplants. It's not just general health. And I kept really trying to convince her that she needed to put all of this information that she had, and it was like you, wonderful information that she had researched, lived through, was still working her way through. And I said, put it in a little book. Put it, you know, put it somewhere. Free if you need to, where people can grasp what you're going through and how this information can help them, and she just never could make herself do it. She was busy with him, and then when he passed, he grieved, and it never got done. And that is still, as far as I'm concerned, one of my coaching fails. I really wish she had been able to to find the energy, the heart to, to do that, like what you're doing right now. It is so important. That we take these things that we learn as we go and share it, even if it's not our core business, and that's what you're well, doing.
0: Well, Denise, maybe she'll maybe she'll um, uh, reflect on on this now, and maybe she'll do it. I mean, there's lots of reasons, as you point out, she would have been busy managing his care, and and dealing with those boulders and those obstacles, and then she would have had to have her grieving period. So maybe the time wasn't right, and maybe the time will be right for her now.
1: I knew the timing wasn't right, and I keep hoping that she'll go back to it, but I don't say anything. I figure she wants to, I mean, we're friends on Facebook, you know, we have never lost touch, but my thinking is if she wants to kind of go back and discuss that, or Mm -hmm. just remember what we talked about so she can kind of ramp up a little bit, I'm happy to help. But, you know, I didn't. I knew that I could not nag her into anything. But she had a wealth, you know, nag, coach. I meant to say coach. <laughs> but, you know, this is why I don't do much coaching. I don't have any filters. Call it nagging. <laughs> yeah. It was nagging. Really Might be a new marketing was,
0: spin, huh? <laughs> could
1: be. It could very well be. But she, just, she didn't have it in her. Even though she knew that she needed to share or wanted to share, this information with other people. She just did not have it in her, and I knew it. You know, God bless her. And she's still grieving, so there's yeah. that.
0: Well, and I think that this is something that, as humans, we tend to discount. I know that that's what I, what I do. I mean, one of my big failures in, in, in my career is undervaluing my knowledge. I don't think that we always attach... That what we, our experiences and our knowledge and our education in life and in, in different work-related um, issues that have come up, that that's valuable. If we can help other people, anything that we can do to help people is valuable, whether we monetize it or not, it, is, it has value.
1: It very much does. And listen, that's why I do this podcast. I get to meet people like you from all over the world with different points of views, different skills, lots of tips and advice. And I do not monetize this, this podcast. I never have. I never will. This right. is to get you, my guest, out in front of a very large audience so they can learn from you as I do. I never leave a podcast episode ever without having learned one to ten things. And I keep them on an index card. What did I learn from this guest today? It's amazing what I learned from you all in the course of
0: an hour. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think it goes two ways. And I, and I think it's a very valuable service that you offer because if you're able to gain something from your guests, it's nice that it's out there for, for others to, to also be able to share in that knowledge. that knowledge.
1: Exactly, So what we're talking about, Nancy, is, you know, making that shift, either adding it as a service or you said something earlier that I thought was really important. Again, it's part of the the conversation that we had over the weekend. We were, you know, Facebook messaging in and we were then talking. We really could have just recorded all of that. I'm not kidding you. But we, you and I were talking about consulting, which is what you brought up earlier, that you would be happy to... Uh, you know, consult with people you know, or talk about strategic marketing advice. And that takes me back to when we were talking over the weekend about how so many... Look, I was in, I was in the top of the virtual assistance industry for a long time, which was part add-on service to what I do, web development, and social media. And then everybody and their grandmother decided they had a keyboard, they could be a virtual assistant, and it really hurt the industry. Pretty badly, in my opinion. But you and I have the same exact attitude about our clients, and that means we consult with them. We don't just wait for them to hand us off. This is the biggest thing with VAs. You hire somebody and you just say, okay, do this, but you don't train them. We need to be trained. And by the same token, our clients need to be trained to work with us. They need to know that they can ask us questions, that we will find the answers if we don't already know it, that we will probably, if we're doing our job properly, more often than not say, hey, I just came across this. What do you think about adding this to whatever it is that we're doing? You need to be their partner, literally. And I think a lot of people that work in the industry that you and I do just forget that. They just, either they're too busy or they have systems that, are, I don't know. But it doesn't seem to me that many of us are, are truly consulting our clients anymore. I could be dead wrong, and I have no well, data to back that up.
0: <laughs> well, you you probably have some learned experience. Just you, you know the the, um, the the common friend that you and I have on on Facebook. Um, she was a client of mine back, I think, in 2016, and I was approached by her to help her build an online course and in the in the process of doing my background research on her, I, I found that she had multiple interests and a, lo, a lot of gave a lot of time and energy to each of those interests and each of those were valuable but the messages were getting mixed between the channels. So I, I didn't end up building her an on an online education. Uh, course, what we ended up doing was completely rebranding her. That was what she needed at that time, rather than that online course. So, it, it, it you know she was she was a very she was very open to doing what she needed to do to move herself forward, instead of being focused solely on what she thought she wanted to do at that time. And I, as the consultant took a look and rather than just blindly doing what I'd been requested did a deep dive and decided that that maybe wasn't where her money and her efforts were best spent at that time
1: and listen I do the same thing with my my potential clients and I know you've heard this when a client when you you're talking with your client that first either you know call or consult you know, whatever whatever you whatever step you are in the relationship and listen y'all don't make the mistake of thinking your relationships with your clients are not relationships. They are. And treat them as well as you can. And treat them the way you want to be treated. But the the thing is, I think I just lost my train of thought. It's like I had a little <laughs> brain fart there. <laughs> then, is it Monday? No. <laughs> it should like it could be. But you know, what, tell me what we were talking about. I'm sorry, I really did just lose my train of, of thought there.
0: Well, we were we were talking about the fact that a, a lot of times marketing uh, companies, as you said, maybe just because they systemize things, maybe because they're right only in a, in a specific niche, they don't listen and don't build what the client needs. They just do what the client wants, oh. as opposed to you and I who right. and others, obviously. Who, oh yeah, uh,
1: there's a lot of us out there that work hard at making sure that. When we take a client, we really can help them. We can speak in their voice. And they're probably going to be with us a decade or better. So make that your goal. What I was going to say is that too often people will will just say, okay, well, you know, here we go. And listen, when I take on a client, I will tell them, we are going to need to have conversations every Monday evening for at Mm -hmm. least a month, probably two months, because I do need to speak in your voice, I do need to understand where you're going, I do need to do that deep dive, and I'll be honest with you, there's been a few times where I went, nope, 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 no, nope, nope. <laughs> right. no, I'm not, I'm not going to work with you. But thank you for asking. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. But and I just regained my my train of thought uh, again. I hear this all the time, and I'm willing to bet you do. When somebody comes to you and you say, okay, what is your focus? Who is your audience? And they're going to say, oh, everybody. Everybody needs what I'm doing. Everybody wants to hear from me. No, they don't. So rebranding is pretty important. Even if you just do it for yourself so you understand what the heck you're doing. It's easy to just get so, so many thoughts and processes and skills, and you're just like,
0: "Ah,
1: now I'm paralyzed. I don't know where to start.
0: Well, and and it's not... As prevalent now, but in the early days of earlier days of social media, I found that a lot of clients would just say that they needed to be on Facebook or they needed to be on Twitter or they needed but their audience wasn't there so so why are you going to spend the time and the money to go on say instagram if if your, if your target audience is not i mean everybody is on Social media and everything now, but back then, uh, people you know sixty plus weren't on there so much. If you're trying to attract people sixty plus, then you don't need to be on Instagram. No, or TikTok. <laughs> back, back in,
1: and if yeah, you're business yeah, exactly. a business, you need to be on LinkedIn. No question.
0: Absolutely right. So yeah, understanding where to be, and and a lot of people didn't understand that. Just thought they're you know back back when. The Internet was first becoming a thing um, Everybody thought all you had to do was just have a website. If you had a website, you were going to suddenly have clients from across the ocean. Well, you know really well, first of all, how do you get seen and secondly, have you figured out about things like uh currency and shipping and customs <laughs> and and all that but it was it it's crazy how the hype seems to block common sense sometimes.
1: Shiny object syndrome. That's what I've always called yep. it. But common sense is exactly what it is. I can't tell you how many times I've talked clients off the cliffs. No. We, you already have something similar. You're not really utilizing that. Why don't we look at what you've already currently got and see what we can merge, get rid of, move, rebrand? and you know take it from there but clients are not going to know this unless you're on top of everything and you have a pretty fair idea how their business is running and what needs to happen to keep it running and this is why social media agencies are expensive but they earn it they really do yes yes yep the, it's different y'all point. from the the virtual okay. assistance industry and social media agencies worlds
0: apart yes yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, you you have to be, you know, as you as you said, you end up becoming partners with your clients and you have to be able to be honest and blunt and open and at the end of the day, people like you and I only have our reputation and if we just are puppets of our clients and are doing what is not in their best interest, it, it damages our reputation as well. So we just have to be it,
1: very it cautious. It does, of- and then there's that pesky sleep thing. You know, it's like, can I sleep knowing this? Well, I don't sleep anyway, but, I mean, if you're doing something that doesn't feel exactly right to you, improve it, change it, Yeah, but improve it we all should improve everything every single day and that's going to take me believe it or not back to what you're doing with with helping people like your your friend i mean that, that sounds to me like you've been doing this day in day out for 6 years am i wrong 6 years yep yeah. 20 2016.
0: 2016 2016 when it started
1: and right. you know we've been
0: friends we've been friends now for 45 years and uh, you know her her only sibling uh, is in late stages with Alzheimer's, so I mean she mm-hmm. she really had nobody else to, to to rely on. So you know you you take it on because you're a friend. And this is the thing about the let's call it unpaid caregiving that friends and family do is is it's kind of insidious. It 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 sneaks up on you. It starts with just a little bit of help here and there, and the next thing you know it's taking. You know, there was a period of time when she was really slipping deep into the Alzheimer's. I easily was spending 30, 40 hours a week dealing with things that came up every day.
1: And that's a full-time job.
0: Oh, it is. I had to deal with with, uh, financial predators that were trying to take uh, advantage of her, trying to deal with her, with her frustration, because she knew that she was losing the capability and, and... the, the more she became aware that she was losing it, the harder she tried to grasp, even though she wasn't able to. There were health issues. You know, there's there's untold, untold things that, as I say, I, I call them obstacles, potholes, roadblocks, whatever you want to call them, but at the end of the day, it's just like, kind of ironic every time i spend i say, i think oh i've had 3 days without any crises and then i get a phone call
1: <laughs> yeah you just yeah
0: i never say those out things that loud like heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well darn it
1: <laughs> i know and listen you have been doing this 30 40 hours a week or more now i don't know on top of trying to rebuild a business that was largely destroyed by covid um moving more into a consultancy type of relationship with your clients. At any point, I have to ask, because people say, well, how did you do, you know, do during COVID? Oh fine, but I've always been virtual. But how did you work around, I don't know, just the fear and the anger? And, and look, all during COVID, I was, from what I could tell, the whole world was experiencing a low-level dread of just distress your low low level of dread and distress. I'm not sure it's completely gone. So my my point is, and I do have a point, truly I do, is that you didn't let any of this stop you. You didn't, you know, shut your business completely down. You moved around a little bit to do whatever your clients needed. You've been working, taking care of your friend, and now you've got a bigger picture to share with the world. Is that about right? Yeah,
0: that is a, um, kind of kind of in a nutshell. I I will say I've, pretty much been virtual as well, even even without the lockdowns. I mean, I, I work from my home office, and uh, the only difference was you couldn't meet face-to-face with clients, which sometimes you can't anyway. Um, I've been functioning virtually with my friend since I've been taken over, because she lives in a different province than me, so we dealt by phone and, and things in the past anyway. Um, but that's things that you have to be aware of. As well, so when the time came, I looked at getting a companion for her, so you know you call it hire a friend that's essentially what you do you pay for somebody to go in and spend time with this person take them out um, and I've, I've been blessed since she went into long term care um, I'm not sure if that's what you call it in the state's uh, residential care um, I have a a, a, a companion for her who is I'll tell you what she I pay her for probably a sixth <laughs> of the time that she spends with my friend. She just um, she just she enjoyed her. She has other clients there and she just let her hang hang around, but there's there's so many different things that come up as I say and and you have to be able to trust and and yes, I was I was back to your point about being virtual. I will say that there was a period of time, probably about that eight months that I alluded to earlier, when things were very, very difficult um, dealing with her. And, you know, we we all have life as well. And, you know, my mother is, is um, getting up there as well, but, you know, she's thankfully healthy and able to, to manage your care, but that doesn't mean that you don't have things that you do for your for your own aging family. So things like that happen, and I'll tell you, there were some times in that eight month period that I wasn't sure. Uh, there was a period of time that my work did suffer because I just simply didn't have the any extra time, and and statistically, that shows in the research that. I think the numbers. I, I should. I should have pulled pulled that up, but I think it's fifty one percent of the caregivers in Canada have had to take time off work to to deal with the issues of of the people whose care they're managing. You know, that's that's lost productivity. That's lost uh, revenue, tax revenue for the government. Uh, but we simply don't have the um, we don't have the number of caregivers, paid caregivers, to, to take care of everything, and not only that, but not everybody can afford those paid caregivers. So back to the back to the advice that I can give, if I can help people anticipate some of this stuff, uh, prepare for it, is going to going to help them in the long run. I know you know, the, the initial consultation that I do with families um, covers three basic areas. The, the first is the practical part of it, which is, you know, what legal paperwork do you need, what financial structure, what are the medical processes and your care options, things like that. Then you have to know how to navigate the system. And then beyond that, you have to learn how to work with those support systems and the options that you choose. So there's, there's three different layers if you will. And then within those three layers there's little sub layers.
1: What did you uh oh, sorry. I thought I turned this off. I'm sorry about that. Um stop. Shh, never mind. <laughs> it's <been some> <laughs> uh it's not Monday. Tell me it's not Monday. It sure feels right. It, it,
0: it, it's it's not Monday, but we are live people. <laughs> we
1: are But listen, when you first started going down this road, because, listen, my brother was a double lung transplant. I've lost several family members recently, and you don't know what you don't know. You just don't know where to start. You don't know who to question. You can't go to Dr. Google. Dr. Google will send you insane. (laughs) Just don't go there. But It's just... I was learning, and I wasn't in charge of my brother's care. My sister, bless her, lived there in, you know where he lives in California, and she took over his care. She stayed in the hospital the entire time he was you know, there. I mean, she moved in, literally. I mean, she took really good care of him. I couldn't. I'm 3,000 miles away. So I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what they were going through. I would frequently, during a text exchange, say, OK, I don't know what I think meds means medication, but you guys are, you know, talking about a lot of different medications that I don't know what they do. Where do I go to find this? Instead of bugging you guys, it was just—I mean, I had so many questions, and I wasn't a big part of it at all, other than a very concerned observer.
0: Well, and that's—I won't even go through all of the questions. That come up that need to be need to have some consideration, but I'll go through a, a, a few of them here. Like legal documents, you know, people don't understand what legal documents they need. I'm I'm sure that they are are virtually the same in the U.S. and Canada. So uh, uh, power of attorney, um, we have various names here for things that allow for. Um, somebody to manage medical care? You know there's personal directives, there's representation agreements. What about a living will or an advanced directive? What about your financial structure? Is, is, is your financial structure in place proper properly? What are you doing uh, um, about mitigating taxes? What about estate planning? What about if you are lucky enough? What about transference of intergenerational wealth? Do you have life insurance? Have you got your beneficiaries chosen? What about revenue and expense projections? What can you anticipate in the future for your care needs? What about your medical needs? Do you have the right medical professionals involved? You said about meds. You know, meds have different interactions with different people, and and sometimes meds will interact with each other, so you need to be on top of that with your people. What's available here in Canada for third-party health insurance? What about care options? Is it feasible to, to age in place? Um, is it is it safe for somebody to age in their home, or do you move into an, an, an independent living facility where there's other other people in your in your cohort, or do you go into a supported living, where you get some some meal service and some light housekeeping, but you're still basically independent? What about long term care? So, you know that's that's just the top layer, and then as as you point out, once you start getting involved, there's all these little Various nuances that, that rear their ugly little head that you have to, have to drop everything sometimes and just deal with it in that moment.
1: And then there's, you know, talking about a nuance, I mean, here's me over here in southwest Louisiana. My family in California, they also had to deal with me going, what is that? What does this mean? And I had to really caution myself not to bombard them with questions that I probably would get the answers to when they could breathe again. Or I could look up to some degree to myself, you know, the medications, definitely. But I had to really caution myself, don't bug them. They are exhausted. They're busy. They're scared. Don't bug them. Show up, but don't bug them. And that's tough. When, When you're far away and you don't know what's going on with your loved one, the first thing you want to do is just, talk to me, talk to me, what's going on? Don't do that. They don't need it.
0: Well, that's right, and and but but that's part of the thing too, Denise. Is, is everybody has the stress? The person who needs the care has the stress because not only are they going through stuff, but they are also well aware of the of the stress that they're causing their loved ones. Then there's the people who are actually managing the care that are dealing with multiple stresses, trying to fit in giving appropriate care well they're trying to manage their lives and then there's the the extended uh or or people who like you are far away but you have your level of stress too yes yeah, so you don't want to bombard them with questions but you've got a level of stress too because you don't know
1: yeah there is that it's, it's it, yeah very difficult you're right you just don't know nobody knows and I, I think that's why what you're doing because of, you know, as a result of what you've been living through is so important because, listen, I've caught myself going on, and I'm in the United States, i caught myself just to try to track what was going on with my brother. I mean, he lived another eight years, so he had eight years of, of additional life. But that last year and a half was not easy for him. It just, right, not easy. So, you know, th- there was all of that going on, too. But I guess my point is, I didn't know where to go. I don't, you know. My sister would say, "Look, I'm gonna try this. And we're gonna do," because she had, a, she was his primary care directive director, if you will. But yeah, it was just fascinating to find out how many roadblocks or bottlenecks I hit when I tried to find anything from any government agency.
0: Oh, they're not okay.
1: easy to Absolutely. get to, meander around, are they?
0: And and they're are- a lot of them are very arrogant. A lot of them are very arrogant, and and they are they don't want to disclose the information.
1: Oh, I didn't think about uh, that.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, you know, we have we have the public health system here in Canada. So we have our health authorities, our tax dollars. Everybody says we have free health care. No, we don't. We pay taxes, <laughs> and that that tax revenue uh, is what is managing our, our health care. But we have agencies who are overseeing the distribution of that. Now, I'm in Alberta, um, and we, we changed things because it got unwieldy. Uh, so we do have different areas, but we do have one governing body that, that the edicts come out of. In British Columbia, which is where my friend is located, they have six different health authorities, And each of them has their own little, they're they're building their own little empire, and they don't talk to you if you don't want. Uh, There was another fellow whose mother was in the same facility as my friend. And during COVID, we had the support. We had about 30 people, I think, 30 family members in long-term care who were all supporting us. But the two of us took up the gauntlet, and we wrote six times, to the local health authority long well thought out letters asking about information about you know what are we going to do about this we've got you know these people are isolated we didn't even get a response until until we kind of really poked them and then when they did give a response it was it wasn't answering any of the questions that we had it was a ignoring the questions that we had and telling us what they wanted us to know
1: i'm not surprised not Mm -hmm. even a little bit bureaucracies are exactly that they're bureaucracies but
0: the individual care the the level on the street is is awesome
1: and here as well you know my brother had the best of care in san francisco and he used to say that he was a $6 million man, and I started to add it up. He probably wasn't that far off. But, yep, right. but the, the thing is, his local care was phenomenal, but, and you just raised a point, his doctors, his teams, he had a heart, he had a lung You know, team, he had all kinds, of, then he had this other team, and they didn't speak to one another. It was fascinating. Frightening, but fascinating.
0: Yeah.
1: So he had drug interaction, you know, Drugs that shouldn't have been put together in the same body, and yeah, I think that's common. They just don't communicate.
0: Yeah, and that, and that, you'd think that they would get past their. I'm going to call it arrogance again.
1: Yeah, well, yeah,
0: to it. yeah, to understand that that they are there for the patient's best interest, their client's best interests, and why aren't you collaborating on that if you're if you're not communicating and you've got somebody who has medications that are fighting against each other, it's not going to be a good outcome for your, for your patient. So why are you doing that?
1: Exactly. I mean, there was a couple of times I'm convinced that he was poisoned. I'm convinced. Can I prove it? No. But right. just too many drugs, too many times a day. They were contra- Even I knew they were contraindicating themselves. And um, I think my sister finally, you know, I love her. She will raise hell in the sweetest tone. <laughs> she gets her way all the time. <laughs> so, But she she stepped in and said, look, there's something going on here, and I want you all at the same table. And she mm-hmm. made it happen. Sometimes you have to do that. And, you know, that's to the point of what you're doing. You have to step in. We as consumers, as patients, patient givers, you know, the lovers of our you know people who love our our patients who are suffering, we need to step up and and I don't mean everything that we're already doing. I mean, obviously, you're going to do your best for your loved ones, you know bringing them home taking a, taking on responsibilities, whatever it is It's what we do because we love people, but there comes a point where these same people need to see some light at the end of the tunnel. We're wearing them. We're wearing them out. We really are. When I say we, I'm speaking about agencies. You're wearing people out. Look at the the, the Veterans Association or Veterans Administration here in the United States has always been a scandal. Always. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can blame that directly on the people handling it, not the people on on the ground. Not them.
0: Absolutely. No, it's, 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 that's very true. And, and you do have to, as, as the caregiver, you have to be strong enough and firm enough to do like your sister did and, and get the answers that you need. Now, at the same time, you know, it comes down to communication and, you know, back to the whole marketing aspect and the consulting aspect of things, everything that we do in life has to do with communicating. And, one of the other things that I encourage the families to do with this consultation that I'm doing is to make sure that they are communicating properly because I've, I've experienced it just in the same place where, where my friend is. We have, We need to level expectations. Here in Canada, they say, probably in the U.S. too, you go into long term care, you've got 24-hour nursing care. Okay, well, technically, yes, there's nursing care that is available 24 hours. That doesn't mean, however, that you're getting personalized nursing care whenever you need it at the top of the hat. They've got certain ratios, so they've got certain they've got the care team all in place, and they have so many clients per so many care aides or nurses. And I'll tell you what, if, if you press your button at 8 o'clock at night and they've got the lighter crew at night and that care team is busy dealing with somebody down the hall that's having a heart attack or even something like somebody is toileting, they're not going to be able to get to you instantaneously. So let's level expectations when people are going in so that then the family members aren't being accusatory and saying you're not taking care of my loved one.
1: I didn't know that. That would have never occurred to me. But as you explain That's it, incredible. it makes perfect sense. It really does. Yeah. Oh, and these are things you just don't think about. Okay, keep going, you're on a chair.
0: <laughs> well, it's just I think it's so important. Um, I honestly I couldn't ask for better better care a better place for for where my friend is receiving care and i attribute that partly because they really do care but also partly because i have always worked on open communication i i remember one time okay this is this is getting a little bit uh, personal, but I think I think I can do it safely here. Um, during COVID, when there were the lockdowns, and nobody could get anywhere near the people in in these facilities, so after I don't know what it was, three or four months, they started doing what they called window visits. So the, we the had care the same team thing that,
1: here, it was it was
0: horrifying. It really was. Yeah, yeah. So they would take they would take my friend with a phone to the window. And she could see on the other side of the glass. She could see the companion who I've hired, who would be on her cell phone, and they would talk. <clears throat> well, the, the the companion sent me a picture <laughs> through the through the glass of my my friend smiling, and I phoned <laughs> I I phoned the companion. I said, "Is that just a bad picture? or Is she missing a tooth?" <laughs> and. And yeah, she had a she had a tooth that was missing on on one side. Now, again, you don't want to think the worst that there's abuse happening, physical abuse happening, and I didn't anticipate that, but I didn't worry about any protocols or lines of command, because I've created the communication with the facility. I called the general manager of the freaking place, and yeah, and I said. Hey, I just got—I just got a picture, and she's missing a tooth. And, and the general manager said, "What the hell? <laughs> well, let me call you back. We're going to check that out right now." So, you, you know, it ended up, of course, it was just like a bad tooth that went away. But you know, that—that's the kind of thing that you have—you you can be on top of if you have good communication with the people who are managing the day-to-day care, because even as caregivers, unless the person is living with you, you're not dealing on the day-to-day 24-7 basis.
1: Right. And when you say communication, listen, it's easy to get stressed. It's easy to get annoyed. You know, when I have to talk with robots at AT AT&T to get wherever I want to go on AT&T, I really hope that they don't record those calls
0: I really do <laughs> because
1: I'm not pleasant during that whole you know push here, do this. Just argh. so, but by the time I actually think I'm going to speak to a live person, I literally have to stand up and take deep breaths so I won't go off on them. They don't deserve it, right? So right. my and you point know what there is be kind me. to people no matter what mood you're in. Get
0: yeah. that connection,
1: foster it, treat them well
0: with respect. Absolutely. If you want respect and you want to be heard, then you have to give that same respect to the other side.
1: And they know when you when you respect them and when you're being concerned and when you're they know. Look, we all have spidey sense. We can tell when we're being played, we can tell when we're being sold to, and we can tell when somebody is absolutely in sympathy and empathy with you. You can tell.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay, Nancy, we've got just a couple of more minutes. Before I let you go, wow, well, we had a good time. I was scribbling notes we did. like
0: crazy. Time flies.
1: Well, and I'm so glad that you came here to share, you know, how we, we take this wealth of skills and expertise that we learn just by living, and then we can take that and be a servant leader by sharing it with other people. So thank you for sharing that process with us.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity to share
1: Oh, My pleasure. Listen, before I let you go, where can people find you? And if they want to consult with you, where can they find you for that?
0: Um, My website is agapimarketing.com That's A-G-A-P-I marketing.com Go to the Next Steps tab and if you want to learn all about this, if you want to see what else I do, just stay where you are. But if you want to learn about Next Steps, just check on that. I've got Uh, several articles already on there that point out some of the different things. And if they want to consult with me, they can email me at nextsteps at agappymarketing.com. That's N-E-X-S-T-E-P-S at agappymarketing.com. Or they can call me at 587-287-5913.
1: Good. And let me point out, it's not next Steps. It's any X without the T. I made that mistake. I'm an <laughs> expert now.
0: <laughs> well, and everybody wants to spell a Gappy with an E. So I, I guess I've chosen two difficult spellings. But I'm there.
1: There you go. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today. I know we tried for mundane we had technical issues, and thank you for being patient enough to come back here today. And it's been wonderful speaking with you. And I thank you for all of the the terrific tips and the advice. That you've shared, you know, with our audience, both for business and personal things that are very, very personal, but still share. So, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for some iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. The truth is, you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So, find us and take us along on your success journey. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the honor.
0: Of- Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.